Well, hello everyone and Happy New Year. Um, I'm so thankful that we still get to worship with each other through this way. So we sing a lot about Jesus coming and his life around Christmas, right? But for us, this is a never ending song. The gift of Jesus literally changed the course of our eternity. So tonight we are going to sing God and 
Every time I hear our musicians play, whether that's in the morning or the evening, every time I hear our musicians play in the morning or the evening, I am amazed by their talent. These guys back here, phenomenal talent. Carissa, I don't know how you do it. I can't walk and chew gum at the same time. She is singing and playing the guitar at the same time. It really is phenomenal. Thank you for that. We're so blessed with our musicians here in the evening and in the morning. They really do make our souls sing with what they play and with what they sing. And that last song was so perfect because it's, of course, coming from the first 18 verses of John that I'm going to read for you in just a minute. It's one of the scripture lessons that our teaching is based on this evening. Um, and so I do want to move into this time of scripture reading. And I'm going to read for us uh, first uh, a lesson from Proverbs. And it comes from Proverbs 8. And this is a part of a fascinating section in Proverbs where the book itself personifies God's wisdom and that God's wisdom is spoken of as a kind of agent or a kind of force that is at work in the world. And so you'll see this first from Proverbs 8, 
Um, here, these words that come in verse uh, 12 and 13 and then skipping on to verse 22. It's spoken in the first person, Proverbs 8, 12. I, wisdom, live with prudence and I attain knowledge and discretion. The fear of the Lord is the hatred of evil, pride and arrogance and the way of evil and perverted speech I hate. The Lord created me at the beginning of his work, the first of his acts long ago. Ages ago, I was set up at the first, before the beginning of the earth. When there were no depths, I was brought forth. There were no springs abounding with water. Before the mountains had been shaped, before the hills, I was brought forth. When he had not yet made the earth and the fields or the world's first bits of soil, when he established the heavens, I was there. And he drew a circle on the face of the deep. When he made the firm skies above, established the fountains of the deep, when he assigned the sea its limit so that the waters might not transgress his command, when he marked out the fountains of the earth, there I was beside him like a master worker. And I was daily his delight, rejoicing before him always, rejoicing in his inhabited world and delighting in the human race." That's our Old Testament lesson. The, the New Testament lesson comes from these verses that we just heard so uh, well sung a minute ago. It comes from John's gospel, the first chapter. And I'm going to start with uh, verse 10. And it mentions that he was in the world, that he made the world. The world came into being, as those words just said. So John 1, starting in verse 10. He was in the world, and the world came into being through him, and yet the world did not know him. He came to what was his own, and his own people did not accept him. But to all who received him, who believed in his name, he gave power to become children of God, who were born not of blood or of the will of flesh or the will of man, but of God. And the word became flesh and lived among us. And we have seen his glory, the glory as of a father's only son, full of grace and truth. John testified to him and cried out, This is he of whom I said, He who comes after me ranks ahead of me, because he was before me. From his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. The law indeed was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God. It is God, the only Son, who is close to the Father's heart, who has made him known. Amen. Well, we were mentioning before we started our service that a few of us uh, here have been in quarantine for COVID. Others of us are in quarantine right now. My wife and I just emerged out of ours about a week ago after being in quarantine since December 17th when we tested positive. And at the very beginning of my quarantine period, a neighbor texted me and said, I bet you did this on purpose, didn't you? You caught this on purpose. And I said, what are you talking about? No way. And he said, let me get this straight. During the busiest time of year for a minister, you get to take off and you get to decamp to the farm down in Nesbitt with your wife and your dog and avoid all of the Christmas craziness and then just be there for 10 days by yourself all alone. And during what happens to be one of the biggest times of deer season all year, you planned this on purpose. And I said, no, no, I didn't. And I really didn't, but I like the sound of that. I didn't plan it on purpose, of course, but that's what we did. We did decamp away from the girls and away from all of the Christmas as we usually know it. We actually did watch some movies. We watched Christmas with the Cranks, 
I don't know if anybody's ever seen that. It's based on John Grisham's novel, Skipping Christmas. And in so many ways, it felt strange this year because it felt like that's what we did. It felt like we skipped Christmas because we missed out on all the usual things that we do during Christmas. But we did not plan it on purpose. Quite the opposite, in fact. In fact, if you were to say, what's the worst time for a minister to catch COVID? I would say December 17th, right before Christmas, a week before Christmas Eve. The worst time in the world for a minister to catch COVID because, some of you know this, because we have been planning for Christmas Eve here at GPC since at least September. I was determined no matter what, no matter what COVID has done to our economy, no matter what it has done socially to people, to family gatherings that wrecked our Thanksgiving, wrecked our Christmas, no matter whatever else COVID might do, we're going to make sure Christmas at GPC is perfect. Perfect. So you can still go up to the classroom where the Hits of the Ages Sunday School class meets, and you can see on that blackboard all the notes that the staff started writing in September, our first meeting about Christmas and how we would handle it and what we would do, how we would change it because of COVID, and how we would make it perfect. And I was determined that it would be perfect. And then came December 17th, and that positive test, and all of my perfect plans for Christmas, away they all flew like the down of a thistle. But then, then, then stepped in these amazing colleagues. And I do want to say again publicly just what a phenomenal job Gerald and Alex, our musicians, and Susie and Tom and others did as well. John stood in uh, two Sunday nights ago. These colleagues and friends in ministry are the best that anybody could ever have. And they stepped in and uh, they pivoted and pivoted and pivoted. Musicians started dropping out because of covid um, other ministers, other leaders started dropping. We had so many changes that we had to, to change right up until the, almost the last minute of Christmas Eve. But these colleagues stepped in and did a phenomenal job. And honestly, as I was watching on Christmas Eve and watching at home, I said, there's no way we could have done it any better than this. So a word of public gratitude to those colleagues. They're a gift to GPC. They're a gift to me personally. And I thank them for it. The other thing that we did while we were in quarantine was we read a lot. <clears throat> I got to read a lot. And what I noticed is that so many different books or novels, they all start with a prologue. They start with a prologue. It's a Greek word, pro, meaning before, and logos, meaning word or saying. Before words, before the words of a book, there are, there's a prologue. And it's actually also words, of course. But I noticed that every good novel now starts with a prologue that is a backstory. That's what a prologue is. It's backstory to the main action. And so a prologue is going to tell you the scene behind the scene. It's going to set up something that may have happened before, even years ago, and in John's case, eons ago, things that happened before that make the current story make sense now. And so John is actually one of the first of the ancient writers to use a prologue. And New Testament scholars have noticed this. They've noticed that his writing is unique not only for the four Gospels in the New Testament, it's also unique as a form of ancient writing in that he actually uses a prologue. These first 18 verses are trying to tell us the backstory. They're telling us the backstory of what's going on behind the Gospel of John because it is so important. It is so important because John is trying to tell us about the universality of Jesus. He's trying to tell us about how Jesus is universally for 
everybody, everybody who has ever lived, everybody, no matter what their background may be, no matter what their ethnicity may be, no matter their religion or no religion, whatever they are, Jesus is for them. Jesus is for you. He is for me. He is for all of us, no matter when we live and who we are. And that's a very important purpose in John's gospel. I want us to think about this for a minute because it's so important to understanding the gospel of John. It's also so important to understanding who Jesus is. So I want us to go back and and place ourselves in John's position. Imagine that you're the gospel writer, John, and you are living in ancient Ephesus. That's where we believe John, the gospel writer, lived. By that time in the first century, Ephesus had actually become one of the hubs of Christianity. Starting there in Jerusalem, (coughs) in what we think of as Palestine, starting there in Jerusalem in that area, moving up to Antioch, that was the second headquarters of Christianity, and then moving all the way over to what is now western Turkey to Ephesus and then Rome. Those were the capitals of Christianity. Those were the places where missionaries were sent from as the gospel was spread. So John lived in Ephesus, and he has this special problem. It's also a special promise. It's a burden and it's a blessing, but it is a problem that he has to address as he is writing this gospel. The problem there is his dual audiences, two different audiences, two different groups of people, as if one group were sitting on this side of the sanctuary and one group were sitting on this side of the sanctuary. They are very different. They are different by nature and they are different by nurture. Maybe you've heard that sort of argument that goes back and forth sometimes between different scientists, different sociologists, different people who study humanity and who study human beings and what makes us tick. They say, is it by nature or by nurture that a person does that? By nature, of course, we mean somebody's DNA, the things about them that are hardwired into them that they have no choice in. It's, It's your race, your ethnicity, all those things about you that are part of your DNA. That's your nature. Your nurture is your family and your traditions and your culture, even your language, the place where you live, your religion or no religion, all those things that are sort of software put into the hardwired part of us. And so John is writing to these very different audiences who have very different by nature and by nurture, very different backgrounds. John's point, writing to these two groups, is that Jesus is for everyone, no matter who you are, no matter what your DNA is, no matter what your your culture is, no matter what your tradition, no matter who you are, Jesus is for you. But this is what his prologue is all about because he is going to address these two different groups. And in Ephesus, in his day, we're talking about Jews on the one hand and Gentiles or Greeks on the other. People descended from that Greek culture, Greek through the Roman Empire. They were a Greek-speaking people and a Greek-thinking people. At least some of them were. Some of them were in Ephesus, but not all. Not all. Think about this. He's got this audience of Jews and Gentiles. By nature and by nurture, very different, very different ethnically, very different intellectually, different ways in which they have been taught to think 
different ways in which they have been taught to act and to be. Very different histories. Western pre-European Greeks and Middle Eastern Jews, on the other hand. These two different groups. So I want to delve into this for a few minutes as we think about what it means that these two groups are so different and why John wrote this prologue here. Why did he write this? Because Jews and Greeks thought differently, they acted differently, they were very different people, but they have come together into this fellowship of Jesus Christ. They commonly believe in Jesus, and so they're part of that church together, even though they are so very different. So let's think philosophically first as an ancient Jew in the Roman Empire. So John is using this word in the prologue, logos, and it literally means word. It's very confusing. I always thought it's very confusing. When a word means word, how do you talk about that word and not use that word? You have to use logos. It means word when you're talking about that word. So we have this word, word, logos, that if you were an ancient Jew and you heard John talk about the word, in the beginning was the word, the logos, and the word was with God and the word was God. An ancient Jew would have said, of course, I know exactly what John is talking about with word. I know exactly what he's talking about. A Jew would have thought all the way back to the beginning of Scripture, to Genesis, when God spoke words and spoke creation into being. In the beginning, God said, let there be light. In the beginning, God said, let the waters be separated from the water so that land can form. And there was land and there was vegetation, there was animals and there were fish and birds of the air. God said, let us create humanity. Let us create them, male and female, in our image and after our likeness. God said, and then we existed. So that the word of God is this creative power at work from the very beginning of Scripture. And then, as you go on through the Old Testament, you see the word of the Lord, the word of the Lord, a phrase that appears over and over again. It is a very powerful force. By God's word, says Psalm 33, 6, the heavens were made. God sent out his word, and they were healed. Another psalm says that, that God's word has this healing power. So shall my word be that goes out from my mouth, says Isaiah 55, My word will not return to me empty. It will accomplish that for which I purpose it. It will succeed for what I send it, the word. And then especially in the wisdom literature of the Old Testament, the great wisdom tradition of the Jews began to use this idea of the word combined with the wisdom of God. And you see in the wisdom literature, and especially here in Proverbs especially three places, one place that we just read from, Proverbs 8, you see the wisdom of God personified. And it becomes this, this agent of God, this, this worker, this, this force with God that has been around since the beginning at work with God in the world. We saw that in the, in the passage that we read from uh, Proverbs 8. That wisdom delights in creation. That wisdom has been there from the very beginning. That wisdom provides light. Wisdom provides ethical light and moral direction for how we should live a life before God. That wisdom 
is a worker with God. So when an ancient Jew hears the word logos, the word word in the beginning of the Gospel of John, that ancient Jewish thinker would immediately plug into all of that great tradition of Judaism, all of their great background, and say, of course I know who the word is. Now, <laughs> on the other hand, if you were Greek, if you were Greek and you were from Ephesus, you would also immediately plug in to what John is saying. In ancient Greek philosophy, the word was an organizing principle. The logos of God, the word was an eternal principle that brought order out of chaos. Heraclitus was an ancient Greek philosopher who lived in Ephesus. Ephesus was his home base. He lived in about 560 B.C. And he taught about the logos, the eternal word that gave order and structure to all of life. Part of Heraclitus's teaching was that um, the world was constantly changing. If you step into a river, he said, and then step out and then step back in, you're never stepping into the same river twice because it is always different because time flows and water flows and everything is in flux. Everything is in decay. Everything changes. That everything is in chaos except that the word holds us together. Everything would be utter chaos if not for the logos of God. He asks this, he says, what allows us to know the difference between right and wrong? What allows us to recognize truth when we see it? The word of God, he said. So from Heraclitus sprang up a whole school of Greek philosophy, the Stoics, and the Stoics were very influential, and they asked questions like, what keeps the stars in the sky? What makes the tide ebb and flow? What makes day and night come in unalterable order? All things, they said, are controlled by the Logos of God. So in these ancient Greeks, this pre-Western, pre-European way of thinking, from the Stoics down to other schools of philosophy, all the way down to Plato and Socrates and Aristotle, all of them said, Plato said, the Logos is love. Love guides us to the Logos, said Plato. So this group, this group of Western Greek thinkers, when they heard the word Logos in John, they would have said, oh, we have this tradition of the Logos. We think the Logos is this creative ordering principle as well. And so they would have tuned in immediately to what John was saying. So do you see what's happening here? Do you see how this happens? John is able to get into the minds, into the intellect, into the way that those people thought, whether they were ancient Middle Eastern Jews or whether they were ancient Greeks, Gentiles, able to get inside their minds of anybody who might hear him. He is appealing to all of the ways in which they think, all the ways in which their minds have been formed, all the ways in which they see the world, whether they're Jewish or Greek. The word means different things to different people, but John says, here it is now, synthesized. Here it is united. Here it is merged now in the life of Jesus Christ. The word of God is Jesus this is Jesus. Jesus is the eternal wisdom of God. Jesus is this creative power of God at work in the world. Jesus is the one who holds all creation together. That's in Ephesus, Ephesians 1. Jesus is the one who keeps everything from descending into chaos. Jesus is the one who gives meaning and purpose to life. Jesus is full of grace 
and glory and truth because he is God. This is Jesus, says John. This is who he is. Jesus is the Logos. He is the word of God that has become flesh. And he has lived among us the glory of God in a human life full of grace and truth. And so as I finish up now and as conclusion, let me just invite you now. Let me invite you now as you embark on a new year. Let me just invite you, whoever you are, whatever your background may be, however your mind works, however you think, whoever you might be, let me invite you again at the beginning of this year to fall in love with Christ. To fall in love with Christ, whoever you may be. And maybe for you, that's for the first time because you're like some of those people in ancient Ephesus and you are wondering about Christianity. You're not sure. And so you just need to know who is this Jesus. Pick up John's gospel and find out for yourself. Maybe you'll fall in love with him for the first time. Maybe, maybe you'll fall in love with him again. Maybe you're like some of those other people in Ephesus and you have known Christ for years and years, but you want to know the whole story. And so you go back and we study again and again and again who Jesus is. During this year of 2021, my dear Christian friends, I invite you, whoever you are, whatever your DNA may be, whatever your culture, traditions, family may be, whatever your religion may be or no religion, whatever, I invite you to come back and to know Jesus Christ. Know him as your Lord, as your friend. Know him as your Savior. Know him in all of your whole self, your whole life. Know Jesus, the Word of God who is for you always and forever and ever, no matter what. Amen. Dear friends, we move from the Word to the table. And we move into this time of the sacrament. And I invite you, friends, as you come to this table again, to um, have your elements ready. And in a few minutes, we will partake together. Before that happens, let us come to this table knowing that it is Christ who invites us. He is the head at this table. He is the one who has set this table. He is the one who has made this table available. And so we come at his invitation because we are grateful for all the grace that God has given us in Jesus Christ. Let us pray. <laughs> Gracious and almighty God, we come before you this evening and we do so knowing that it is the beginning of a new year. And while so many things from the past and so many things that are old will linger and they'll carry over into this year, nevertheless, we ask again for there to be newness and there to be renewal in so many areas of our lives. Lord, individually and personally, we all ask for renewal in our faith. We pray that you would provide new ways to serve and new ways to understand, new ways to learn about you. Lord, give us something new that intrigues us and that causes us again to love you more and more each and every day. We also pray for renewal for our church. Lord, as we think about this year and how we can engage with you in so many ways, we pray, O oh God, that you would inspire us collectively as a body. We pray, O oh Lord, that you would inspire us with new programs and new classes and, and this new worship service. And in so many ways, O oh God, 
May this community of faith be renewed in who we are in the year 2021. Lord, we pray for our community as well. We pray for Germantown and Collierville and the greater Memphis area, Lord. We pray for Shelby County. We pray that you would come to the whole county, to all of our citizenry in new ways this year. We pray that we would love and serve and protect our neighbors in need, O God. That as a church we would do that, as a community we would do that. We pray that you would bind us together and find new ways, O God, for us to be united in service and in purpose. Lord, we pray renewal not only for us, but for all the churches in our area. We think about our friends at St. George's. We think about Germantown Methodist. We think about New Bethel, Kingsway, and all the other churches that we serve with in so many ways. And we lift them up to you. We lift up their pastors. We lift up their congregations. We pray that this would be the best year also for those neighboring churches all around us. Lord, we do pray for our world as well. This world that does carry over with it into this new year, places where there is warfare, places where there is hardship and deprivation. And so we pray that you would come into the world in a new way, O God, bring new hope, bring new vision, bring new life to those places in our world that need it the most. Lord, as we continue to pray, as we always do, we do pray in the way that Christ taught us to pray. We pray the prayer that he taught us to pray, and we say together, Our Father who is in heaven, holy is your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. Lead us not into temptation and deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Friends, we remember that story from the New Testament about Jesus, how he went up to celebrate the Passover with his disciples. And he went up into that upper room, and he took the bread that was there, and he took the cup that was there, and he talked about them and gave them new significance and new symbolism. He took the bread that was there after the meal. He blessed it. He broke it. He said to them, this is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. He also took the cup that was there. He poured the wine into it. He talked about a new covenant that would be sealed between God and his followers that would be sealed by Christ's blood shed on the cross. He said, do this also in remembrance of me. And so on this evening, we take this bread and we take this cup and we proclaim the Lord's death until that day that we look forward to enjoy when Christ shall come again and return and be with us. These are the gifts of God for the people of God. Taste and see that our Lord is good. I invite you, if you have your communion elements ready, to partake of communion at this time with both bread and cup. As we have our prayer after communion, I'll invite our musicians to come back up to the front and be ready to lead us in music after this. While they're coming to the front, we will have our prayer after communion. Let us pray. 
holy and amazing God, we do pray for your blessing, Lord, on this evening. We pray, O God, that as we have now partaken of communion, both bread and cup, body and blood, we pray that it would be the nourishing grace for us that we need. We pray, Lord, that you would nourish us and that you would give us, therefore, strength to go out into the world and to be your people, to go out as John writes about and to be a light, a light, O God, that comes not from ourselves, but a light that is reflected from you. Lord, we live only because you have loved us and we serve only because you have called us. And so now we pray, O God, that you would send us out into this night, but truly out into the world as your renewed and renourished disciples. Lord, bless us in all that we do and say. And again, we thank you for your grace. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. All right, thank you. We'll continue with our worship. And again, we're grateful for our musicians here this evening. Yes, Jesus is the good news. He is the living promise that we were waiting for. And he is the light to the whole world that we are also desperate for. Jesus came, he lived, he died for us, and he rose again. And he is here today because he gave us his Holy Spirit, which lives inside of us if we believe in him. So join us as we continue singing about the life of Jesus.
love how the words of that song, they're all in the present tense. It's all the present tense. Jesus, you're the living presence. He is here moving among us. And especially that uh, second to last line, Jesus is here calling disciples, teaching the way of the cross. Jesus is here giving his spirit. We believe that he is here and that it is a present endeavor for Jesus to continue to, to call disciples and to give people meaning and purpose. And it happens through the work of the church. And so we invite everybody who can to make an offering to support the work of the church, to support this present ministry of Jesus that we just heard sung about. Um, you can give in all kinds of ways. You can go to the church website and you can give through the, uh, the giving tabs that are there. You can give electronically. I did that uh, before Christmas. You can give through the app that you can uh, download onto your phone. There's so many ways you can give. You can give, of course, just by mailing a check, or there's even a box on the wall that you can drop off an offering if you'd like to. But we're so grateful for the amazing generosity and stewardship by so many people in the church. We're grateful for it, and we want to dedicate what people give, even if you're not here, to physically place it into the offering plate. We want, to, we want to pray and dedicate what people give to the church this week. So let us pray. God of love, again, we do come to you and we make this dedication. We make a gift to the church. We support the work of the church. And in doing so, we realize it's not just those, those uh, gifts of monetary value, Lord, but those come from the heart and they represent our mind, our intellect. They represent the work of our hands. They represent uh, our savings and the things that we have um, earned. We represent, oh God, all these different things as we give to support your work in this church and indeed in the whole community. We dedicate this offering to you, oh God. We pray that this week might be a week in which we see you in some new and beautiful way, and we're grateful for all that you've done for us through Jesus Christ. In his name we pray. Amen. Join us as we sing our final song, Shine, Jesus, Shine. Shining Jesus, light of the world, shining. 
favorite songs. I first started singing that song over 20 years ago in, the, in an evening worship service, and it's one of my favorites. I'm not sure I've ever heard it done quite as well as that. So thank you to all of our musicians. Thank you again for everybody who's able to watch us from your um, living room, from your home. We hope that you'll come and join us in person as soon as we can in the very near future. Friends, now go out into this world, go out into your neighborhoods, go out to your work, go out to all the circles of your life, taking the light of Jesus Christ with you. Go out to love and serve the Lord, and go out to love and serve your neighbor as yourself. And as you go, may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you and remain with you always. Amen.